Hey, y'all, it's uh, Brandon Adams. Thanks so much for listening to Dog Nation Daily, presented by Braided Pass Management here today. Just want to let you know, a little bit of an issue with the recording here today. We actually pick up our conversation today kind of in progress, right near the beginning, but a little bit of the uh, beginning here kind of got cut off. So just wanted to give you a heads up on that. Thanks, as always, for listening to the show, and I uh, hope you enjoy it. Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Breda Pest Management, the official pest control of UGA Athletics. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. Embarrassing and disrespectful, uh, what's happening right now as far as the way in which ESPN has talked about Georgia. And even if Elle Duncan's kind of joking about this, I think there's an element in which what she's saying sort of feels true. And in fact, she went on in this sort of discussion with Paul Feinbaum to talk specifically about what she sort of views as a level of disrespect for Georgia by ESPN. And some of the stuff that she said, even though she's saying in a joking way, I don't think it can be denied. Let me let you hear a little bit more about what L. Duncan had to say. They turncoated me on my own 6 p.m. show. They showed a highlight reel, a hype video, getting ready for college football. They showed Ohio State celebrating a touchdown in a bowl game. They lost to us, where we eventually went on to win the national championship. It didn't show us holding up our second straight trophy. Okay. When Alabama won two straight trophies, Paul Feinbaum, you guys wanted to bronze Saban's feet and put it in the Smithsonian. We went back-to-back, and crickets, silence, absolutely nothing. And I don't understand why this is happening. I mean, can we not deny there's an element of that that sort of feels real, right? I mean, she says, hey, we're running promos of Ohio State celebrating in a game in which it lost. And as I said before, even though she's joking about that, how many times have we seen Ohio State given credit for a game in which it did lose to Georgia? Georgia seemingly not given credit for the fact that it did win. And, you know, it kind of feels like that has been kind of going on here where all of a sudden, you know, the close game that Georgia played against Ohio State is some sort of ding against it, a blemish on the uh, resume for Georgia or a potential harbinger of doom to come. And yet Ohio State, which lost the game, could not stop Georgia, could not finish off a drive, which had a chance to, to regain the lead and win the game. Uh, those things going against Ohio State late there against Georgia, but somehow keeping it close was some sort of moral victory for a program like the Buckeyes, which would kind of put itself at the top of college football, and yet we're going to pat them on the head, give them a gold star because they kept it close with Georgia. She says, hey, running promos where they're celebrating a game in which they lost, and honestly, a lot of the calendar year since then has also kind of been spent in some form or fashion. Ohio State kind of celebrating a game in which it did not win, and yeah, it does seem like that whatever Alabama has done, uh, as she says, hey, you know, you want to kind of bronze the feet of Nick Saban, but but uh, from her perspective, kind of crickets as it relates to Georgia. And as far as the whole Alabama thing goes, you know, you got uh, the entire you know uh, group there from ESPN. They're all picking Alabama to win the SEC. You know, that's all a thing there. You know, she was also kind of asked about that. I with Paul Feinbaum, and once again, in a joking way, kind of speaking on behalf of uh, Georgia fans when when she once again kind of called out her own employer for their love of Alabama and maybe not quite enough love shown the uh, direction of uh, UGA. Here's L. Duncan again. Why are we still trying to make Alabama a thing? That's what I'm talking about, Paul. Georgia has an opportunity to do something that hasn't been done since dudes were named Pappy and Milton and were wearing actual pigskins on their faces. And meanwhile, <laughs> we want to talk about maybe Alabama's back, or by all means, let's trot out some storylines about these seventh-year quarterbacks. It's insane. 
Yeah. So once again, I mean, first of all, let's not uh, denigrate people named Pappy. I mean, a lot of us like, you know, a lot of us like a little bit of Pappy pretty well every now and then. But nonetheless, the overall point of what she's saying there, I think, is probably true that that it does sort of seem like that it's nothing but love and nothing but, uh, I guess, benefits of the doubt extended towards Alabama. Georgia doesn't seem to benefit from nearly as much of that. And it is going to be noticeable. It is going to be talked about when everybody on that ESPN set the other day went out there and picked uh, Alabama to win the SEC championship here this year at the expense of George. Now, it's also worth discussing here that while this is kind of a big deal on the Paul Fime bomb show, that's where L. Duncan is speaking, and in a show like this, Dog Nation Daily, presented by Breda Pass Management, apparently if we take the Georgia players at their word, it is not quite as big a deal for them. Earlier this week, Cedric Von Prawn Granger was asked about the thing that L. Duncan was sounding off on there, the idea that the entire set on College Game Day the other day, clean sweep in picking Alabama. Uh, Cedric, who's a great leader for Georgia, first of all said he hadn't even noticed it, and if he was you know, brought to, if it was brought to mind to him, apparently he's not nearly as bothered by this as some of us are. This is what SVP said on that topic the other day. If I'm being 100% honest with you, I have not seen it. Um, To be honest with you, we've been trying to just focus on making sure um, that we're doing all that we can to, you know, protect us and make sure that we're doing what we can to be the best team as possible. But um, I mean, at the end of the day, they have their opinion and, you know, we respect it, but all we can do is just work and, you know, try to have the best, you know, results for us. So I get that, and I think it's important to understand here that what Van Praan is probably saying there is to a certain extent probably true. I don't think this probably matters to the coaches and players as much as it matters to us, but just because it doesn't matter to them doesn't mean it doesn't matter if you're following me on this. And I guess to get slightly philosophical just for a moment, like here's the thing about sports fans. Sports fans gravitate towards sports, I believe, by and large, because they enjoy competition. And the kind of person who enjoys competition is not likely to be kind of a passive person. In other words, you know, sports fans are in their very nature competitors. That's why they enjoy sports. But a lot of us have gotten a little older. You know, our chances of like competing on teams have kind of gone away as we slightly get older. So we look for more ways to sort of express our competitive spirit and being sports fans gives us a chance to do that. We don't coach in the games. We don't play in the games, but we can bet on the games. We can do fantasy sports. We can collect collectibles, sports cards, things like that. And we can just sort of shout back and forth with our opinions and in a roundabout way that becomes our own version of the kind of competitive stuff that takes place on the football field we don't only like to see our favorite team win we like to also tell folks our favorite team is going to win and then when it does win we like to say see i told you so when a bunch of people are out there saying our favorite team is not going to win we like to remember that so we can remind them later on of how wrong they are There's nothing bad about this. This is just sort of the way in which sports fans express their role in the competition that is college football. And so when the ESPN people say what they say, the L. Duncans of the world, the Brandon Adamses of the world, the, you know, the, the whatever else, we are going to notice that and we are going to save that moment so we can go back and play those clips, show those, you know, screenshots and whatever else and say, hey, this is how wrong you were. So L. Duncan is joking, but there are truths in all jokes. And what ESPN did to Georgia this past week may not matter as much to the coaches and players, but you better believe the fans are noticing it, and you better believe the fans are just sort of buying their time until Georgia gets a chance to go for 3-23, and, and we can tell everybody from ESPN 
just how wrong that it is. Now, let me shift gears and talk about something completely different just for a moment. So yesterday on Tuesday nights, you know, Kirby always speaks to the media again on Tuesday to kind of close out his, I guess, local media obligations for the week. And one more time yesterday, Kirby Smart was asked about how much of the idea of wanting a third straight national championship, trying to come back and do that again, how much of that really is a message for your team right now? How much do you talk about that kind of stuff? Kirby's been asked some version of that question over and over and over again. And pretty much every single time Kirby's asked that, he kind of gives the same answer, which is, I know it's hard for you to believe, but we actually don't talk about that as much as you might think. So if we take Kirby at his word that Georgia isn't talking as much about that, the question to wonder is, well, then what are you talking about? When you step up and stand up and talk to your team, what is it that you talk about if you're not talking about the motivation, the desire to, as we say around here, go for three and 23? Well, yesterday we did get a glimpse of what Georgia does choose to talk about, what Kirby Smart does when he has the attention of his entire team, when they're sitting there in that meeting room and they're all looking up there towards the front, what Kirby does choose to talk to them about. And Kirby told us last night that one of the things they have talked about as a team this week is the fact that one of their own, a former player, Kiaris Jackson, was selected to be a part of the active roster for the Tennessee Titans. And this was not only discussed, but it was celebrated by Georgia and I think when you listen to Kirby Smart explaining why he wanted to make sure the entire team knew about this, I think you get some pretty interesting insight into exactly how Kirby Smart does choose to motivate these players and perhaps exactly what does matter to the players as they get ready to move into what is a pivotal season for them, both collectively as a team and individually as a player. Here is Kirby Smart talking about gathering the team together and letting them know that Kiaris Jackson, one of their own, had moved on to the NFL and had kind of overcome some odds to be selected to be a part of the active roster of the Tennessee Titans. I think this is good from Kirby Smart, and after he's done, I'll tell you why, but here's Kirby first. Yeah, we announced that today in the uh, team meeting right before practice. I got text and uh, Kiaris texted me and uh, one of the guys at the Titans texted me and the whole team went nuts, man. It was, Kiaris was just ecstatic and, I mean, who better deserves that than a guy that went through two, three, four injuries. He was on the leadership uh, SEC committee and represented this university on every board you could be on and stood up for the team and led and uh, just unbelievable leader and had all the cards stacked against him and he, he still overcame all that and made it on what is one of the toughest things to do in all sports to make that 53-man roster. He did. I'm really proud of him. There is something really insightful about all of this as it relates to Kirby Smart and George and obviously Kears Jackson himself deserves a lot of credit uh, for his own perseverance to make this roster. But to broaden this out, make this about Georgia here for a moment. Kirby Smart tells you over and over again, repeated this again yesterday, we don't talk about three straight national championships. We don't talk about all that kind of stuff. But here's what I would be willing to suggest as a theory, that when you are talking about Kyrus Jackson making an NFL team in a roundabout way, you are also laying the groundwork to talk about winning a third straight national championship. Because when you look at what made Kyrus special at Georgia prior to moving on to the NFL, it was the fact that he embraced a role at Georgia that wasn't necessarily a starring situation. It wasn't necessarily a lot of glitz and glamour. He was willing to do hard work. He was willing to commit to leadership. He was willing to commit to sacrifice. And those kinds of things result in championships. And while Jackson's ultimately getting to fulfill 
what I would imagine is a childhood dream now playing in the NFL. When he was at Georgia, he wasn't always talking the way that future NFL players you would might imagine talk. Wasn't talking about himself and wasn't talking about what he could do as an individual. He was all about the team, the team, the team. And he was all about talking about championships. You know, Kirby Smart says, hey, we don't talk about three straight national championships. That's not our level of motivation right now. But when you've got the right players on your roster, you don't necessarily need to talk about that. They sort of talk about it themselves. And so a guy like Kiaris, who Kirby Smart just praised for making an NFL roster, let's go back and get a reminder of just really a few months ago how Kiaris was talking about Georgia. And let's assume this is the kind of – personality and and uh, belief that still populates this Georgia roster. So when Kirby celebrates Kiaris, he's celebrating the kind of ideas that Kiaris brought to Georgia. This is a reminder of that near the end of last season. If something is working, why stop it? <laughs> That's my mindset. I'm here to win games. I'm not here to have a 1,000 yards, 20 touchdowns. If I wanted to come in for that, I probably would have went to someone else. But I'm trying to put numbers on those walls and trying to be a national champion, an SEC champion. So whatever Coach Mike feels like is going to put us in the best position to win, I'm down for it. So he's talking about not getting the football himself. He's saying we're going to spread the football around, and that gives me a chance to win championships. The phrase that he used that I've always loved, to put numbers on the wall. If you ever go to the football facility there in Athens, you see 1942, 1980, 2021, 2022, the national championships that Georgia's collected. Those are the numbers on the wall, the 2022 SEC championship, also one of those numbers on the wall. That's what Kiaris Jackson celebrates. So when Georgia celebrates Kiaris Jackson, as Kirby Smart said they did this week for making the NFL, when Georgia celebrates Kiaris Jackson, you're not just celebrating him as a player, you're celebrating the ideas that he believed in while he was at Georgia. So you may say, hey, we're not talking about winning a third straight national championship. But the kinds of things you do talk about point back to the ultimate mission here at Georgia, which is winning championships. In other words, when you celebrate Kiaris Jackson and what he's done to make an NFL team, which he does deserve a lot of credit for, as Kirby Smart said, that is not an easy thing to do. When you celebrate him, you are in a roundabout way demonstrating to your players, which is if you come here, if you embrace a role, your willingness and ability to embrace that role may also bring championships to our team, and Kiaris Jackson, that was certainly the case, and it may provide you a career when your time here at Georgia is done, the same way that it is for Kiaris Jackson. And y'all, that is a really powerful message because there's something about that that doesn't quite seem so intuitive, especially for elite athletes. They would assume, hey, I'm such a great athlete. If this team's going to win, I need to be the star. And if I'm going to make the NFL, I need to show the NFL what a star I am, what a, what a superstar, you know, uh, uh, important player I am. But what Kirby Smart says, no, look at Kiaris Jackson. Look at other guys who've been here. They embraced a role. Their role helped us win championships, and their role also set the stage for them to go on to have a career. That is indeed a story worth celebrating, not for what it can mean for these players once they move on into their professional lives, but what it can mean for them while they're here at UGA and their chance to, as Kiaris Jackson said before, put more numbers up there on that wall. My name is Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans, presented today by Breda Pest Management. We are happy to have you with us, no matter how you get to us. Live on video across all platforms, still wrestling with some of those streaming issues, and you hate that, but we appreciate everybody who's working so hard behind the scenes to make sure we get that all squared away and taken care of. Really appreciate that. How about our friends in the radio in the afternoon? on Athens Sports Radio 960 Ref and podcasts, wherever you find them across all platforms there as well. Just really, really appreciate everybody who makes 
uh, at a point to join us here for Dog Nation Daily, presented by Breda Pass Management today. And by the way, speaking of our friends at Breda Pass Management, uh, so, so appreciative of having the official pest control provider of UGA Athletics on board doing this with us each and every week. And when you're at Sanford Stadium here this week, the new and improved Sanford Stadium, lots of interesting new add-ons to the stadium. When you're there seeing that, keep in mind, that venue protected from bugs, from critters, from termites by our friends at Breda Pest Management. And the same protection that Breda provides to UGA as the official pest control provider of UGA Athletics, it can also provide for you as well. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to reach out to them, BredaPest.com. That's B-R-E-D-A, BredaPest.com. Make sure you reach out to them today on that. And when you do, I want you to find out how they can put more money back in your pocket just for making the switch. After all, they've been in business since 1975, got 125 employees. This is a well-resourced, very successful company, and they've gotten that way by serving folks like you year after year after year. And the strength that they've developed as an organization, they want to leverage that for your benefit by giving you a chance to make more money, save money, just for making the switch. So don't put it off. Make that switch today. BredaPest.com. B-R-E-D-A, BredaPest.com for a lot more on that. While I have your attention, let me also give you a quick shout-out that tomorrow is a huge day around Dog Nation. We're going to be live at the Marlowe's in Brookhaven for the live broadcast of our newest show, The Dog Nation Happy Hour, uh, presented by Marlowe's Tavern. And tomorrow night we're going to be at the Marlowe's in Brookhaven. We're going to get there at 5 o'clock, have a nice, fun, happy hour hangout, casual, laid back, as we like to be on Thursday nights. And then across all of our video platforms at 6 p.m., we'll do a live broadcast of the show. Our great friend Kaylee Manziel going to be in person with us tomorrow night hosting the show. So for those of you who have not gotten a chance to meet Kaylee yet tomorrow, great chance for you to do that. Some Dog Nation folks are going to be hanging out. I plan on being there. Uh, going to be a, a great time as we just enjoy the kickoff to the start of the season. And I have been told we also have a chance to make a big announcement tomorrow there as well. And I do believe this is a very big announcement. So this is going to be fun. Your first chance to hear about an exciting thing coming the way of Dog Nation is tomorrow night uh, there at the Marlowe's in Brookhaven. I think you're all going to love it. Uh, and we can't wait to tell you more about it. But that takes place tomorrow night, 5 p.m. for the happy hour hangout, 6 p.m. for the live broadcast. And please note, that's a different time than our normal happy hour shows, which usually are at 7, but tomorrow night we are at 6 p.m. at the Marlowe's in Brookhaven. So please join us there, Marlowe's in Brookhaven, coming up tomorrow night for the Dog Nation Happy Hour, presented by Marlowe's Tavern. we got Mike Griffith coming up. We'll get a practice update from him here in just a bit. Prior to that, though, Let's go around the doghouse. Poured today by our friends at Dr. Pepper. And I think one of the most important things for Georgia on the field against Tennessee Martin on Saturday, how healthy are the dogs at running back and of this crop of running backs, which of these guys do you get a chance to see in significant action against uh, Tennessee Martin there on Saturday? With that in mind, Kirby Smart did give us an update again last night on the status of Dejon Edwards and Kendall Milton ahead of this game. And it sounds like, I don't know. You judge for yourself. Take a listen to this. It sounds like we're kind of moving in a slightly more hopeful direction on these guys. Uh, take a listen to Kirby Smart from last night. Judge for yourself. Kendall Milton, Dejon Edwards injury update. Take a listen here. They've both done more. Dejon stayed in a black. Uh, Kendall's been out of a black. Uh, they both are, uh, I mean, they look good. We're giving a lot of reps to a lot of other guys because we got other guys to get prepared for. But um, they've both been in Indy. They've both done drills. Uh, they both worked you know, during the run periods and the pass periods. So feel good about both of them. Yeah, so 
Kirby Smart says he feels good about both of them. That's not the same thing as saying they're both going to play and they're both going to have, you know, 20 carries on Saturday. We understand the difference on that. And yet, nonetheless, I sort of find myself moving in a slightly more optimistic direction with the Georgia running game, I believe, prior to the start of the season. As I've told you before, I take it seriously when someone like Dale McGee says he has confidence in his group. And I am of the belief that if Dejon Edwards is healthy and if Kendall Milton is healthy, then Georgia, to me, has the potential makings of the kind of running back tandem that is very similar to the thing that Georgia almost always seems to have. A couple of backs who provide big opportunities for you. You know, we would have said Kenny McIntosh was part of a group like that last year. Maybe James Cook and Samir White going back to 2021. You want to start going back to, like, you know, Elijah Holyfield, DeAndre Swift, obviously Nick Chubb, Sonny Michelle, the gold standard on some of that kind of stuff. It seems like Georgia just always has that tandem of backs who make things really tough on the opposition. And there is a lot about this running back room right now we don't know. We didn't see much of them at G-Day. Obviously, a guy like Kenny McIntosh, who was productive, is gone. But as we move a little closer on all of this, I do start to feel a little more optimistic that if Edwards and Milton are healthy, they can be that tandem for Georgia here this year. Their health is obviously still a pretty big question, but if Georgia is taking precautions with these guys right now, ultimately that might be the right overall step so they can be as healthy as they need to be and healthy healthy as they possibly can be for a South Carolina game coming up in a couple of weeks, a road trip to Auburn a couple of weeks after that. And it sounds like Kirby's belief is they can be ready when they really need for them to be. So ultimately, Saturday may be a little bit of an extension of G-Day. We may not see much of these guys on Saturday. We may not see much in terms of robust running back production from Georgia on Saturday either. But that doesn't mean that group can't be there when Georgia really needs it. And taking it easy with Milton and, and uh, Edwards right now might be a way to make sure it is there when Georgia really needs it a little bit later on this season. And that's Around the Doghouse. It's poured today by Dr. Pepper. And, of course, we got a brand-new season coming back to us here. That means rivalries. That means action. That means a lot of fun to be had right now. And it means the return of Dr. Pepper's Fansville there as well. One of my favorite commercials to see this time of year are those Dr. Pepper Fansville commercials because it's a signal that not only is college football back and all the cool things that go on with college football are kind of there for all of us, but it also means that Dr. Pepper is back there too. So as you're getting ready for your tailgate or your watch parties, all the things that you have going on, uh, keep Dr. Pepper and the return of Fansville in mind as you get stocked up on game day for for dr pepper uh, dr pepper zero sugar all the great things uh that make dr pepper such a big part of your college football season make sure you try that today a one-of-a-kind rich delicious delicious dr pepper it's the one that fans deserve so make sure you check it out dr pepper great to have them as a part of around the doghouse for us here today great to have all of you with us here today too now before we are done on today's show kirby smart has talked about one of the second year players who's been in a battle for some playing time at georgia who as kirby smart says has had a few wild moments there at practice and that doesn't mean that he's done everything right necessarily but when you think about guys who could be on the verge of breaking out in a bigger way this year this may be an example of that we'll tell you what Kirby said about that from a positive standpoint we'll do that here coming up in just a little bit also there is some wild movement as it relates to one of the biggest games in the SEC to be played this weekend in fact it'll be played tomorrow between Florida and Utah we'll give you information on that before we're all said and done but before that 
Let's get deep into what's going to happen for Georgia on Saturday against Tennessee Martin. Let's do a practice report, an insider update presented by Georgia Farm Bureau with Mike Griffith here right now. From Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a DogNation.com insider. Great to have Mike Griffith here, a, a Georgia Farm Bureau insider update, looking at what's been going on at UGA practices. The dogs get ready to take on Tennessee Martin there on Saturday. And I guess, Mike, let's start with what has kind of seemed as of late like a little bit of a mounting injury report for UGA. It seems like injuries a little bit more of a concern than you would certainly like if you're a Georgia fan going into the start of the season. We just heard from Kirby Smart kind of giving a more hopeful than not update on Kendall Milton and Dejon Edwards. But to kind of pull out and broaden this a bit, uh, give me your overall, I guess, assessment of the situation as it relates to Georgia and the injury bug prior to the start of the season on Saturday against Tennessee Martin. Well, Brandon, if if, you, if Georgia was playing Oregon or Clemson, I don't think we would hear a lot about these things. I think these are the sort of things that you manage, uh, you know, throughout the season. And I think the opponent has something to do with the sensitivity to these injuries. Um, you know, from what Kirby Smart said, you know, both Kendall Milton. Uh, and Dejon Edwards uh, are doing okay in practice. He mentioned Smile Munden taking reps. He mentioned Kamari Lassiter. And yet and still, uh, you know, he was transparent enough, you know, to mention that, you know, there were some nicks and bruises. Uh, now, does that mean they're not going to start? Does that mean their snaps will be managed? You know, that's up to Kirby. But if we're being honest about it, um, you know, these first two games of the season, it's not exactly like George is going to have to have a lot of guys playing through injuries. Uh, to win these games. And, you know, roster management is key. It's what Kirby does really well uh, for Georgia to win it all. It's a 15-game season, and there's no reason to rush some of these guys back if a little bit of extra rest or a few uh, reps off will put them in a position to be healthier when they do play more competitive teams such as South Carolina and Auburn later in the month. Yeah, you know, and I talk about the running back thing where, you know, when Branson Robinson first goes down, I mean, if you're a Georgia fan, obviously you take that as pretty bad news and – you know, that kind of accentuated what had been on a team that doesn't seem to have a whole lot of weaknesses. You kind of gravitate to what any anything that doesn't seem fully settled. I think your mind kind of immediately kind of gravitates towards that. So running back has been kind of a focal point of conversation on this show. And yet, as we get close to the start of the season, assuming that what Kirby said yesterday can be taken at face value, which is that Dejon Edwards and Kendall Milton are on their way back to health. Georgia perhaps taking that a little bit slow here right now. The truth is, I think both, you know, a healthy Edwards and Milton give Georgia the potential of having this tandem of running backs, which kind of always seems to lead the way, you know, for this team as we get close to the start of the year, Mike, I guess I, and I think a lot of Georgia fans probably join me in this, you start to feel a little bit more optimistic that this, this can be a Georgia rushing attack, the likes of which it's been the last couple of years, maybe not quite as dynamic it was in 2017, 2018, but certainly in keeping with a team that also throws the ball more and throws it better. This can be the kind of rushing attack that Georgia's also had in each of the last two years that proved good enough to win the national championship. I kind of find myself getting a little more optimistic about the overall situation with the running game as the season draws nigh. Yeah, and we haven't really talked much about Roderick Robinson, and that was a guy that I was really impressed with in the spring. And you know, I think we're going to see a lot of him. And I think once people see him and 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 see how efficient he is, and you know, I think you know, you know Broderick was was going to be, you know, I think your Branson Robinson was going to be a third string running back anyway. So I don't think he was going to be that prominent. Um, you know, whereas I think Roderick, you know, will be prominent and uh, you know maybe carry a heavier load. 
Uh, you want to get, you want to make sure that Milton and Dejan Edwards are there at the finish line in November. You know, I think back to last year and you know how they really limited Kenny McIntosh's work between the tackles. Um, Kirby knew he would need him at the end of the year, and so you didn't really see Kenny carry the ball till he really needed to carry the team. And you know, when the past game struggled against Kentucky or um, you know or against Georgia Tech, you saw Kenny featured prominently. Um, so or Missouri, you know, playing through the injury in the second half of Florida. Uh, so I think we're seeing more roster management. I think the objective is to get Kendall Milton and Dejon Edwards to November healthy. Uh, you've got young talent that you can develop there. We've heard a lot about Cash Jones. This is a guy that you know I'm excited to see. You know how effective a walk-on can be. I, I would have thought Georgia might have gotten a big name transfer out of the portal for the position uh, during the offseason. I think we both speculated on that, but um, there wasn't a good fit apparently, and so uh, they've got what they've got. Do they have enough to win a national championship at running back? Sure. Um, but do I think this is the best backfield or one of the top two or three backfields in the league? Right now, I don't. Um, but I don't know what I know. I don't know what I don't know. Um, you know, again, Roderick Robinson is a guy that uh, you know, number zero there. You know, I think he could open some eyes. Yeah, that's an interesting assessment of, uh, of of Robinson. I guess we'll have to wait and see there on that. And as far as you know, what you. You do expect to see against Tennessee Martin, you know, Mike, listen, I'm a carnival barker by nature. I'm a hype man by nature. You know, I just like doing that kind of thing. I like trying to make things as interesting as they can possibly be. And even I would have a hard time hyping up the Tennessee Martin game too much beyond the fact it's just exciting to be back in Athens again and exciting to be excited to be in a game in a Sanford Stadium between the hedges. So if I had to try to zero in on what I do think is interesting and what I do expect to see for Georgia against Tennessee Martin. You know, you go back to a year ago in which, you know, Georgia really wasn't at its best in some of its lesser games. You know, it didn't play great against Kent State. Uh, and that Kent State team is far better than this uh, Tennessee Martin team. You know, didn't um, you know necessarily play great against Samford a year ago. And ultimately it proved not to matter that Georgia was capable of just sort of flipping the switch on and off whenever it kind of wanted to. So, you know, it's certainly not a, a referendum, you know, for Georgia how it plays against Tennessee Martin. But I guess I am kind of curious to see is this a team that's a little bit more focused against lesser foes than it was a year ago? That's at least a little bit of a curiosity for me, whether it ultimately matters all that much or not. Well, it depends on your quarterback. You know, last year the quarterback wasn't consistent. In some games, Stetson was outstanding. In some games, he wasn't. And, you know, how you execute and the decisions that you make, um, you know, has everything to do with it. I mean, it was as simple as when Stetson played good, Georgia looked unbeatable, and when he didn't play good, they looked beatable. In Missouri, times against Ohio State, um, it's an important position, as you know. Um, there was he was a, a Heisman. He, Mike, he was a Heisman finalist, though. I guess I, I guess I'll add that into the well, conversation. He did, he did, and you know, and he was he was the quarterback on an undefeated team that threw for 300 yards in the uh, weekend of the of the vote. I mean, he played outstanding, but I, I, I dare say, Brandon, that. Had they voted after the Missouri game or the Kentucky game, I don't think he'd have been on the ballot. I mean, there was obviously some recency. But I'm not saying that Stetson Bennett isn't one of the Georgia legends and doesn't deserve his place in history. But uh, you know, I think to overlook uh, some of the poor performances that he had, you know, I can't, Mike. I, I can't really, I can't relitigate the Stetson Bennett era. I, I can't do that. Uh, okay. Well, no. You you asked me a question, and I'm explaining why the team wasn't consistent last year, and I'm suggesting that when he didn't play well that the team didn't play well. And I don't think he played well against Sanford. Did you think he played well against Sanford last year? Honestly, I don't remember. Yeah, I do. And and that's what the, and that's what I'm saying. They need to see some consistency. And, and that's what I'm going to be looking for because I'm not sure. You know, call me a doubting Thomas. I mean, it's not about Stetson. I mean, 
I mean, heck, uh, JT Daniels didn't throw a touchdown pass against Clemson. I mean, it happens where quarterbacks don't always play elite. And if Caleb Williams struggles, USC's not going to look very good. And if Carson Beck isn't consistent, I wonder how much of an opportunity we'll see Brock uh, Vandegrift get or Gunnar Stockton. I'm not suggesting they're going to change starting quarterbacks in September, but one of the things I am going to look for is how consistent does the offense look with Carson and how much playing time do the other quarterbacks get and how does the team look with them? So when we talk about what could we get out of UT Martin, I think we what we get is we see how these different quarterbacks manage their snaps against a different opponent, where I thought the spring game was kind of scripted a little bit, to be honest with you. I thought, well, this quarterback played with these two guys on the field and against this defense, and I couldn't really get a good read. But maybe we'll get a better read as September plays out, because it sounds like they're going to play more than one quarterback, and we're certainly going to have an opportunity to see what Carson Beck does now that this is his team. I will say this, Brandon. I did a poll, and I thought it was really interesting. Kirby said the other day, he pointed out that you know Carson was ahead of Stetson on the depth chart at some point, and he said it could have been Stetson, he could have been Carson Beck this whole time. And I said, wow, that that was a statement from the University of Georgia head coach. And I said, well, what what would have happened if it was? And about half the people said that Georgia would have had the same record or better. Half the people said it would have been worse. So I thought it was pretty interesting that there's a lot of people who already have a lot of faith in Carson Beck. I'm on the fence. I don't really know. It is our Georgia Farm Bureau Insider Update with Mike Griffith here on Dog Nation Daily today. And, of course, as football returns, nobody's more excited about that than those folks over there at Georgia Farm Bureau because right here in the state of Georgia, they're just like you. They're Georgians. They live and they work, and they're out there taking care of business in our great state each and every day. And that means taking care of you when it comes to insurance products, home insurance, life insurance, auto insurance. Georgia Farm Bureau's got great service and and, and great things. Their, their agents, their claims adjusters, all those folks right here in the state of Georgia, just like you, providing you great options for your insurance needs. So you've heard me say it before that Georgia Farm Bureau is always the home team. And I want you to check them out online to find out more about that. It's gfbinsurance.com. It's gfbinsurance.com. You can find out more how you can connect with our friends at Georgia Farm Bureau and learn about the way in which their service-oriented business, their local-oriented business is out there taking care of you for auto insurance needs, for for uh, home insurance needs, for your life insurance needs. Our friends at Georgia Farm Bureau get you covered on it all. gfbinsurance.com for a lot more on that. Mike, before we let you go here, let's broaden it out here a little bit. I think that you got a pretty interesting slate of games involving SEC teams for the upcoming week. Obviously, it starts tomorrow as uh, Florida travels all the way out there to Utah. And there's we're going to talk more about this in a moment. There's wild, just kind of chatter, you know, back and forth about about that game. And then you think about LSU with a chance to, on Sunday night, uh, you know, really get a big win potentially against Florida State or Florida State will win that game. They themselves get a chance to kind of thrust themselves in the college football playoff conversation. There are obviously, obviously other SEC games of note there as well. What to you is most interesting about week one? Admittedly, the other games involving bigger teams, probably more interesting than the Georgia game, uh, almost for sure. So beyond all of this on week one, what is interesting to you? Well, I think South Carolina and North Carolina is interesting to me because Georgia plays South Carolina in a couple weeks. And, and I'll be honest, as much as I like Shane Beamer, I'm, I'm not very bullish on South Carolina. I think South Carolina is in for a fight. I could, I could really beat my words here in a few days. But I, that, that program to me looks like, you know, I, I still, I'm, Brandon, I'm still not sure how they beat Clemson. I don't know if I really believe it happened. 
I might need to see the video. I just we were both sitting in the same press box last year when Georgia absolutely made South Carolina look like a high school team. I thought they might fire Shane Beamer that day. I mean, the South Carolina fans, they, most of the time they at least wait until halftime to leave, but this time they didn't. First of all, the ones that didn't, they, they were late showing up. I think a lot of them were on the way to the game, and it was 21 to zero. They said, you know what, let's just not even go in, because I don't think the stadium ever even got full. Like, it was starting, like, oh, it's a late-arriving crowd. Well, then all of a sudden, Georgia's up so early, they, they never really arrived, and the ones that were there were almost all gone by half. I said, my God, this is... Like, you know, uh, no traffic after the game here. Uh, I just remember that. We were just sitting like it could, it could have been 100-0 to zero if Kirby wanted that date. But um, so, so and then somehow by the end of the year, this, this team grows, you know, fangs and it's Frankenstein and they're beating Tennessee and knocking them out of the playoff and then they're beating Clemson and essentially knocking them out of the playoff. And you're going, what, what just happened here? You know, so which, which one of these teams, which South Carolina shows up to me? I, they've lost some talent. And I'm just not convinced, and and I'm also my little my little edge here, my little betting edge for you, Brandon. Why I'm taking North Carolina? They lost Freddie Kitchens, and Freddie Kitchens was an offensive mind on that team, and now you know where he's at. He's at North Carolina, and I think that's a winning edge, and and I think North Carolina is going to beat South Carolina, and I don't think South Carolina is going to be that good this year. So I'm going to watch that game because that to me that's why I always just kind of speed bump over some people go, oh Georgia's schedule they play South yeah forget that game let's wait till Auburn. But that's why, because I am a huge doubter. As much as I like Shane Beamer personally, and I, and I do, I've known the guy for years, and I, I hope he does well because he's a great person. But the analyst in me says they're going to stink this year. So I want to watch that game, see if I'm right, or maybe I'm really, really wrong, uh, in addition to those other games. You know, LSU and Florida State, that is really tough. I like both of those teams. I think they're both playoff caliber. I think it's, it's like, hey, gum, they got to play that early. And I kind of like Florida State a little bit in that game with Mason Smith out. So those are the, in, in Florida, Utah. I mean, we can you know make whatever we want. Who cares? Florida's not going to. Florida doesn't matter. It's a, you know big name teams. You know out in the mountains. Okay, it's something for us to watch on Thursday night. But it doesn't really have relevance to me because Florida just doesn't really matter to me. Yeah, I mean, it should be uh, certainly very interesting to see. You know, obviously, you kind of mentioned uh, the changeover to offensive coordinator for South Carolina. I think that's look at Dowell Loggins there in that spot. You know, that's a guy who I think has, you know, a pretty big job ahead of him because if Gamecock's going to be competitive, a lot of that's going to come on the offensive side of the ball. And if they could find a way as a slight underdog to beat North Carolina, then it does sort of set up that Georgia game as as certainly more interesting than on paper it would have appeared to be. And on kind of a week slate for kind of a week three type action? Is it week three? Uh, uh, kind of a week slate for, uh, for you know, uh, week three? I mean, there's a chance that if South Carolina could pull the upset, admittedly I right now think they're better than most people do. Um, their over-under is only about five and a half. So, you know, there's not a lot of love out there for the Gamecocks necessarily. But but I have I think they have a chance to be better than that here this year. Um, if they were somehow able to pull that upset, then all of a sudden the Georgia-South Carolina game does have – a little bit more juice than it would play and then then it was sort of expected when it was first scheduled there so uh we'll certainly have to see how that plays out mike uh good stuff thanks for being here and we will look forward to talking to you very soon that's right hey, if south carolina wins brandon that means georgia might only win by five touchdowns instead of seven fair enough <laughs> thanks for your time mike let's take a look around the rest of the league this is SEC Through. All right, interesting stuff. And, yeah, we're going to talk more about some of these games here coming up. And don't forget, on Friday, we'll have Go With The Flow, presented by R.S. Andrews and the Dog Nation video channels. We'll make our official picks there for some of these games. And I do think 
the point that Mike makes about the South Carolina North Carolina game, when you and we talked to Connor about this a little bit on Tuesday, that when you look at the overall Week One slate, it's not the best Week One we've seen. You know, we've seen years in which there were probably more great games or possibly very good games than we currently have right now. I think LSU. Florida State on paper is one of the best non-conference games of the season. It does happen to be played week one. But the overall depth of week one, probably not as high as it's been in the past. But sneaky right there, that game in Charlotte between the Tar Heels and the the Gamecocks, I do think has a chance to be uh, pretty good. So we'll give you more thoughts on that here coming up in just a moment. Prior to that, though, let's go cruise around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean. And obviously, Royal Caribbean's got some amazing things ready to debut for you in 2024. I'm going to give you three things to keep in mind here. Thing number one, January of 2024, Icon of the Seas, which when it sails, will be the largest cruise ship ever constructed. And you have a chance to be on board Icon of the Seas here to kick off the month of January in 2024. Our great friend Jessica Slater, wonderful travel agent, wants to help you out with that. You can give her a call, 770-718-9147. That's 770-718-9147. You can also find her Email jslater at dreamvacations.com. jslater at dreamvacations.com. Royal Caribbean believes good travel agent makes a great Royal Caribbean cruise even better. And Jessica's an outstanding one. You will certainly love doing business with her as she, as she sets you up for your Royal Caribbean cruise vacation. It doesn't cost you anything to do business with Jessica. She gets paid by Royal Caribbean uh, as she helps you get the most out of your Royal Caribbean cruise vacation. She's also the one putting the Dog Nation cruise for us together in April. In fact, you can go to the website she's put together, royaldogs.com, to find out more about Allure of the Seas. That's the ship that we're going to be on in April of 2024, leaving out of Port Canaveral, going to Nassau on the Bahamas, going to Perfect Day, Coco Cay. You know if I'm going to be sailing, that's where I want to be sailing to. That private island oasis right there in the Bahamas exclusively for those on a Royal Caribbean cruise vacation. Allure of the season. April is going to be outstanding. Hundreds of you have already signed up. More of you are going to be signing up in the days to come. Jessica Slater's got you covered on all that. Jay Slater. Uh, at dreamvacations.com, the email address, or royaldogs.com, the website. Then one more thing to tell you about, July of 2024. How about Utopia of the Seas? At that point, it'll be the newest Royal Caribbean ship, and it's going to be going out of Port Canaveral on those three and four night sailings, a brand new ship. going to be amazing. Utopia of the Seas coming up in July. Make sure you check that out today. All right, so let's go cruise around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean, and let's talk here for a little bit about some of the chatter that's out there for some of the big week one games for right now, Florida-Utah tomorrow. And it's amazing to me the way the line in this game has changed. And I want to kind of get in the weeds on this game just for a moment. So back in the summer, early look-ahead lines first established. You saw Utah's about a 10-point, in some cases 11-point favorite. Then you were kind of down to around a touchdown to begin this week kind of drop to you know the key number seven so once you go under seven that's a pretty big movement for the sports books Uh, point spread drops to six and a half and once it dropped to six and a half it's been falling like a stone ever since then uh not to give out free plugs but just for reference sake i saw FanDuel this morning had it three and a half uh DraftKings, caesars both had it at four and a half um you may kind of establish sort of a consensus four here before it's all said and done massive massive movement in in the direction of florida almost all of this related to the quarterback situation for utah cam rising was injured in last year's bowl game that injury recovery has been ongoing rising has said this week that he's willing to wait right up until the very last moment to decide if he can play or not he says he feels good but obviously that is kind of nondescript right now about what rising's ultimate 
status is for the game. But let's talk a little bit about whether or not this quarterback situation should be enough to see the line move this much in the direction of Florida. If you give Utah three points for being at home, right now the books are almost saying that in a neutral field, Florida and Utah, if Utah doesn't have Cam Rising, are essentially even, equal teams almost. I'm not quite so sure I buy that. If you care about things like ESPN, FPI, Utah is still a preseason number 12 in the uh, power rating there. Florida just 25. So the idea that you're going to make these two teams essentially an even game on a neutral field because of the quarterback injury, not quite so sure I get there. Obviously, the thing that probably factors the most in this for for Utah is not just the rising status, but the fact that Brandon Rose, who was a three-star signee from the 2022 class, did not play a year ago. He is a scholarship quarterback, though, supposed to be the backup. He's also hurt there as well. So you've now put Bryson Barnes into the game, possibly as a walk-on. Sounds like Nate Johnson will also play some as kind of a wildcat quarterback. So they're going to at least play two quarterbacks, whether rising plays or not. But in the case of Barnes, you hear walk-on, but the truth is he played a little bit last year. He was 37 to 57, four touchdowns, two picks, averaged 7.4 yards per attempt. Those are not amazing numbers and it's a small sample size but it's not like this guy you know completely embarrassed himself when he got a chance to play some a year ago the other really big factor here is and for those of you who are like college football nerds you'll remember this there was a game last it was late last October in which Utah was playing on FS1 Cam Rising didn't play and Kyle Whittingham didn't reveal it he didn't even tell the FS1 broadcasters, uh, Petros Papadakis was the analyst that day, and Petros was pretty upset about this. He didn't even tell the FS1 crew that Rising was not going to play. Now, some of you'd say, well, listen, he's the coach. He didn't, he didn't have to tell anybody, but that's considered pretty bad form not to even tell the television broadcasters. They're kind of sworn to secrecy on stuff like this. So Whittingham is a coach known for being extra secretive about his quarterbacks in fact you hear some of the rumblings and grumblings big 10 going to start mandating injury reports things like that this is the kind of thing they want to get rid of because they don't want quarterbacks being chased down by you know nefarious types because of the inherent value that injury information has they want coaches to reveal more of that to take some of the pressure off the players Whittingham's behavior the perfect example of why rules like this are going to exist more in the future in college football and while they've existed for a long time in the NFL but either way Whittingham as a coach is known for being especially secretive when it comes to his quarterback situation so that probably makes all of this a little dicier I don't mind telling you even if Utah is playing with the backup quarterback I like the Utes in the game I do I do and I'm a you could say well BA you're a Gator hater you don't like the lousy stinking Gators perhaps you can't separate one from the other on this perhaps I'm incapable of doing that maybe that's the case but I'm gonna make my opinion clear I believe that Utah is winning this game and I believe that all of the movement in the direction of Florida over the course of the last few days, to me, that just sort of strikes of like week one amateur hour behavior from a bunch of people who are just like shaking about they want to fire off a bet as quickly as they can. And they're taking whatever information that's out there and they're just running with it. There is way too much being made about Cam Rising's injury for a quarterback that right now does not rank among the 10 or I'd say even 15, 20 best quarterbacks in the country, certainly not among the 10 best. We're making way too much out of Rising's injury right now. This is not a player that ought to be moving this point spread by a touchdown or more. It's just not just not that kind of player. So give me Utah here, wherever the line settles, and the more it moves in the direction of Florida, I believe the better the value gets. 
Uh, another game involving an SEC team against Power 5 competition is Tennessee hosting Virginia. This is a big spread. It's somewhere in the neighborhood of like 28 and a half points. My simple issue with this game is I think there's a very good chance that Virginia is the worst team in Power 5. And, you know, I'm curious to see kind of the debut of Joe Milton, I guess the re-debut maybe, as he reintroduces himself to America here with a chance to be the full season starting quarterback for Tennessee after failing in that chance in 2021 and missing out on the chance to be the Michigan quarterback prior to that. This is Joe Milton's reintroduction to American college football fans. And so we'll see how he plays. But ultimately, I think Tennessee is the right side here from the simple standpoint I don't believe that the metrics and the math and the calculators and the math nerds, I don't believe they've quite caught up yet to the idea that in the race for the bottom, worst team in Power 5, I think Virginia's got a pretty big head start on a lot of other teams. So that's enough for me to like Tennessee a lot right now. In the game in Charlotte between North Carolina and South Carolina, I simply think South Carolina is being overlooked. And I'm either the wrongest guy in the world because almost no one thinks this. Almost no one thinks this. Their over-under is not very high. Um, they were hit pretty hard by the transfer portal. Um, but, you know, they did pick up the defensive end the other day from UAB kind of late. They may play him on Saturday. You know, this is not an incompetent football team right now. They were hit hard by transfers. Marshawn Lloyd's gone. You can cite guys who are gone. As I mentioned to Mike a moment ago, I don't love Dowell Loggins, his offensive coordinator. This was the guy who was tight ends coach at Arkansas a year ago. So this is not a big-time home run hire from an OC standpoint, I don't believe necessarily. But after a million years of being in college, I think I probably like Spencer Rattler more than some of y'all do. I, I do. I think I probably like him a little bit more than some of y'all do. And this is not a team that's capable of keeping it close with Georgia, I don't believe. But are they capable of beating a team like North Carolina that has yet to play any defense at all? I don't think that's a huge ask. I really don't. I think this game is being overlooked. I believe that South Carolina is being undervalued. Right now they're about a two-and-a-half-point underdog. I believe they win the game outright. And if I'm wrong, then everybody else can laugh at me because pretty much everybody else feels the opposite. But that doesn't really change my opinion on this. And then finally I'll give you Florida State and uh, LSU from Sunday. Early thought on a game we'll obviously have more time to talk about. Look, I think it's very interesting that LSU is going to play this game. They're going to remain a favorite in the game despite Mason Smith's absence, NCAA suspension for him. First of all, defensive linemen don't move point spreads. So that's it's not a surprise that the line doesn't change, but it does give LSU to make an additional statement. In other words, the winner of this game makes a statement somehow some way the winner of this game is absolutely a very real playoff contender and, and the loser could still make the playoff of course but the winner of this game is absolutely a very real playoff contender but if LSU wins without Mason Smith even though defensive linemen don't move point spreads if um if LSU wins without Mason Smith then I think you have to prepare yourself for the idea that this is a far more buttoned up far more professional operation for Brian Kelly in year two than it was this time to begin year one they had 14 transfers I believe 10 of those were on defense so you're talking about an upgraded defense in all likelihood but every great SEC team has that tip of the spear space eating big body defensive lineman right in the middle of that defensive line you know Georgia makes that famous Alabama's made that famous the best LSU teams have kind of made that famous and Mason Smith maybe maybe the next in line that remember we didn't see him almost all of last year he got hurt in the in the Florida State game a year ago didn't play the rest of the season so you know Mason Smith is kind of an unknown commodity to a lot of people but his presence when he's healthy 
when he's done with this, you know, cockamamie suspension, when when all of that is over, this could be a massive, massive presence for LSU. And if he returns knowing that LSU already has a non-conference win in hand like the one against Florida State, then I think you have to take LSU very seriously among the very best teams in the country. And I believe overall that on paper LSU is far better than Alabama. I think that would only be confirmed if they were to beat Florida State, who is also, I believe, a very good team, if they were to beat Florida State without a guy like Smith. So high stakes for that game and a lot, I believe, for LSU to prove if it's able to win will make that cruising around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean. Now, before I move on talk more about Georgia football, let me also give a quick shout-out to our friends at the Finish Long Drink here. The one thing I continue to hear from all of you is how much you love the brand-new peach-flavored version of the Finish Long Drink. It's been such an exciting new thing. And the one thing I also hear a lot is, hey, B.A., where can I find some? Where can I pick some up? So this is where our friends at the Finish Long Drink actually want to help you out. Now, when you go to the Finish Long Drink's website, thelongdrink.com, not only can you put in your zip code there and find out where you can pick up some finished long drink today, including the brand new peach flavored version of the finished long drink, but you can also hear more about the finished long drink story, the way in which it kind of starts from Helsinki back in the 1950s for the summer games when they were there, made its way over here to um, America back in what, 2018, I think it started, been in Georgia now for a little while, and it's pretty much everywhere. And so many of you uh, right here in the great state of Georgia are enjoying it, uh, making that a big part of your tailgates and your watch parties and your summer get-togethers and things like that and you're now trying that brand new peach flavored version of the finished long drink you can also uh, love the fact that when you look at all the awards that's won the kind of you know uh celebrities who are kind of involved in the the business there like miles teller and obviously uh, ricky fowler it's just a really cool story about how the finished long drink has kind of grown and emerged is one of the really exciting new beverages out there in this great new beverage category, the ready-to-drink cocktail. Well, the finished long drink is the best of them all. So please try it online, thelongdrink.com for more on that. That's thelongdrink.com for more on that. Okay, so let's do this. I thought Kirby Smart last night when he talked about Julian Humphrey had some interesting things to say. You know Humphrey's story. This is a former four-star defensive back. He was here a year ago, and – you know, I really felt like the the chatter around Humphrey last year was kind of quiet, I think. Uh, and sometimes, oftentimes, no news is not good news. You know, you've heard me say before, good news almost always leaks. Bad news almost never does. So when things are quiet, that can sometimes be a bad sign because bad news just doesn't leak around the Georgia program. And a lot of these big programs kind of operate in much the same way. So How's the guy doing as he kind of acclimates himself to college life? If you're not hearing much, you're left to wonder. And, you know, oftentimes no news is not necessarily good news. Well, if it was quiet around Humphrey before, it's certainly not quiet around him right now. Apparently, no matter what his first year on campus was possibly like, his second year, moving into his second year, has apparently gone very well. Apparently he's had a very good training camp. There are plenty of whispers to that effect. Yesterday, I thought that Kirby Smart gave a very candid evaluation of Humphrey, who seemingly has very – aggressively asserted himself into a cornerback competition that includes Dalen Everett and includes Nylon Green and A.J. Harris, all battling kind of be the guy opposite of uh, Kamari Laster. Kirby Smart told us on Monday that competition's far from settled, and it's not necessarily a need to settle it right now because, you know, these things often go into the season. And by the way, it also continues on week to week to week. But Humphrey is a big part of this year right now, perhaps a bigger part of this right now than maybe some folks thought he would be 
as recently as a couple of months ago. So hearing what Kirby said about Julian Humphrey last night, I think it's kind of interesting, both the apparent wow plays he makes during practice, but also the typical growing pains that all young players kind of go through. Pretty candid and fairly wide-ranging from Kirby on Julian Humphrey uh, last night. Take a listen to this. Yeah, I think Fran's done a tremendous job with Julian. He's a, a fast guy that came in, kind of raw uh, talent, um, and not played a lot of the techniques that we're teaching in terms of uh, you know, multiple coverages. He played a lot of man, and uh, he's grown as a player. He's gotten tougher. He's gotten more physical. He still has not arrived. Um, he still has you know, moments that make you wonder what he's doing. Then he has you know, wild moments. He's made some really good plays in camp, but he has to continue to play in and, and kind of buy into the process of getting better at that position, and, and he'll get better because he's, he's talented. Yeah, I think that's fascinating, and I love the compliment that Fran Brown gets for the work that he's done there. Fran just seems like an unbelievable fit for this Georgia coaching staff, and I think the competition at cornerback is pretty intriguing. And look, somebody's got to start and somebody's got to play. What you don't want is a position battle won by default of, well, these other guys have disqualified themselves from the competition, so therefore I guess we'll put you out there because we've got to put somebody. That's what you don't want in football. George almost never has that, but you don't want that in football. It seems like to me the exact opposite of that may be going on here at cornerback where it may be hard to decide who the cornerback is because you keep hearing from more precincts being heard from. I mean, people have said some good things about A.J. Harris, you know, fresh to this Georgia program but asserting himself here. Uh, obviously a guy like Nylon Green's been around for a while. We've seen Nylon make good plays on special teams. That typically translates to the offense, the defense. And for Nylon, maybe that's the case. Dalen Everett's a, you know, expected star one day in his own right. I mean, not not star, capital letters, the position, but star, you know, euphemistically speaking, in terms of the kind of role that he could play for this Georgia team. People believe, you know, you know, that that uh Everett could have a very bright future. But Julian Humphrey is a major part of this here right now, too. That right now, the Georgia cornerback thing, opposite Kamari Laster, may be the best kind of competition of all. You can't pick a starter yet because a lot of these guys are making it so that you can't disqualify them yet. And that's pretty fun. And I'm sure we'll see some of that there on Saturday. Maybe a handful of guys playing. Perhaps, almost certainly, we will. And it sounds like Humphrey's a big part of that. You love it when guys come in, take a year to learn. Apparently, that's what Julian, or as they call him, Julio, um, that's what he did a year ago, and now he's ready to put what he learned into practice on the field here this year. Kind of fun to think uh, about and kind of fun to see. And on Saturday, in a game that I'm not going to lie to you, I don't have a lot of enthusiasm for Georgia-Tennessee Martin right now, but stuff like this you better believe I've got enthusiasm for. Seeing guys make the most of their opportunity, seeing guys lay the groundwork for playing time that can make them big contributors to the games that will matter more later on the season, that's what Saturday is all about, and that's what we expect to see when we get between the hedges. All right, so for a golden shoe here today, obviously yesterday we talked about the very sad news, the passing of Sonny Seiler, the, I think it's fair to, certainly fair to call him a DGD, Georgia legend from his connection to the academic part of this, the university, law school, of course, things like that. Uh, certainly longtime figure in the athletic department, of course, the man that starts the tradition known as UGA, going all the way back to the 1950s. Uh, John Stinchcomb shared this with me, and I believe it's okay for me to share it with all of you. So John of the National Championship game was seated behind Sonny Seiler, one of John's friends went up to speak to Mr. Seiler, and John shared with the picture and then told me what his friend had said to him that Sonny Seiler had said back about Georgia winning that national championship. Uh, Mr. Seiler says, this sure is a lot of fun. We should do it some more. And that's a great way to think about Sonny Seiler, who 
Somebody spent so much of his life cheering on those dogs and making it more fun for us to cheer on the dogs because of the way in which he brought Ugga into our lives. So a very fitting tribute from John for Mr. Siler, and we'll make that a golden shoe for today and remind you, lousy stinking gators down there in Savannah where the Siler family hails, you know how much they love hating on those lousy stinking gators. And 59 days from now, George is going to be back in the cocktail party beating up on Florida again. That is our Gator Eater Countdown. We will see all of you back here tomorrow, Dog Nation Daily, presented by Breda Pest Management.